0: Welcome to the fastest five minutes, presented by Kroll and Mooring. We are your co-hosts, Peter Ayer and David Robbins, bringing you a bi-weekly summary of significant government contracts, legal, and regulatory developments that no government contracts lawyer or executive should be without. It's been a busy couple of weeks, so we'll jump right in and start with ITAR. On December 26th, Department of State announced that it will allow for cloud-based storage and handling of appropriately encrypted software and technical data controlled by ITAR in the U.S. and abroad. The interim final rule creates a new definition for activities that are not exports, re-exports, retransfers, or temporary imports. And the definitions are quite technical, but really there is a focus on the encrypted nature of the data and a number of other elements to it. But this comes as a lot of people are really looking at how to manage ITAR-covered information in the cloud and in other digital assets. There are certain other events that are no longer necessary to get DDTC authorization as a result of this rule, including launching items into space, transmitting or transferring technical data between U.S. persons in certain situations, and movement of defense articles between U.S. states, possessions, and territories. So a lot there, and certainly something that's of interest to a lot of our listeners. Now we turn over to False Claims Act and David.
1: Sure, and I can't help but offer just a somewhat joking quip that I really love that launching items into space is not considered an export. Not anymore. There we go. Okay, moving on. The Department of Justice recently announced that it recovered more than 3 billion with a B billion in settlements and judgments from the False Claims Act in fiscal year 2019. That compares to recoveries of 2.8 billion in 2018, but 3.7 in 2017 and 4.7 in 2016. Either way you slice it, though, it's still a lot of money. In addition to describing significant cases resulting in DOJ recoveries, the release from DOJ further highlighted 2.6 billion dollars in healthcare-related recoveries, 633 qui tam suits filed. Those are whistleblower-driven suits. And research and grant misconduct by universities leading to more than a hundred million dollars in settlements and penalties and damages imposed against individuals and company executives. Moving to bid protest news, and it's rare we get one of these that we can describe in this context, and this seems like a good one to cover. Mid-last month, GAO sustained a post-award protest by T3I Solutions LLC, challenging an Air Force award to another company for courseware and training services. GAO agreed with the protest's allegations, finding that the awardee materially misrepresented its available workforce, by proposing an incumbent employee without contacting that employee in advance of proposal submission or obtaining permission to include him as part of the proposed team. Whoops, I guess that's probably a misstep. That qualifies as a bait-and-switch under GAO case law and is just a further extension of how important key personnel are. We've seen a number of decisions attacking this various which ways, and this is another one in that extension of that, the law. Moving on to contractor purchasing system news, at the very end of last year, December 31st, DOD issued a final rule to amend the DFARS, increasing the DOD contractor purchasing system review dollar threshold from $25 to $50 million. And this is, for those following along, an adoption of the proposed rule without change. The idea is that it will reduce the number of contractor reviews by approximately 20 percent and an announced prioritization of surveillance of larger firms. Peter, back to you. Great.
0: We also just want to touch on two very important regulations that were issued over the last few days that we'll be talking a lot about. Both have quite significant impact for certain kinds of contractors. So the first is relating to CFIA. So the final rules came out implementing various statutory changes over the last couple of years. And there are some very important things for companies to be aware of, including critical changes involving the technology pilot program. These rules are effective February 13th. They will not apply to deals where the definitive documents were signed prior to that date. The regulations introduce the concept of an accepted investor, which exempts certain qualified investors from mandatory declarations. There are also some expanded jurisdictional elements over non-controlling investments. And then in addition, there's a carve-out for mandatory filings involving certain types of foci-mitigated companies, but obviously there's a lot of nuance there. The second relates to the DOL joint employer rule. So this is under the FLSA. There are certain elements to this joint employer doctrine, which governs minimum wage, overtime obligations. The final rule represents the first significant revision to these regulations in over 50 years. And it's generally seen as good news for employers because it sets forth a standard that's more difficult for plaintiffs to meet. This comes up a lot, especially as it relates to prime contractors and subcontractors. So a lot to talk about there. So Kroll & Moring will be putting out plenty of content on those and we can answer any questions that you may have. That's all for this edition. We'll see you again in two weeks. In the meantime, if you need anything, David can be reached at 202-624-2627, and I can be reached at 202-624-2807. Thank you for listening. The Fastest 5 Minutes Podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Maury LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash govconpodcast.